Well, I hope my mom is happy. F day ute hirinite. You're a sucker with a capital S. The cold shoulder. They literally threw butterballs at statues. Raining cats and dogs. That's how we get peeping Tom. This guy was pissed. It's a. <laughs> there you go. Booty, booty, looty, manooty. Hello, everyone. It's time for yet another episode of Smart Drivel with your co hosts, Don Ellenthal and Kurt Schneider. Welcome aboard. Welcome, everybody. So we have been tickled pink. Ooh. 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 I didn't even mean that as an opener. We've been tickled pink lately by all the responses we're getting. The reviews on Apple, the texts we're getting, the responses and tweets and Instagrams. So thank you. Keep them up. And as part of that, one of our great listeners suggested, John, that they loved fun phrases so much. They actually said, please, please, sir, can I have some more? Just like Oliver Twist did. And asked us to do a fun phrases number two. So let's go into fun phrases dose, John. What do you think? Number two, junior, chip off the old block of fun phrases one. I am ready for fun phrases, the sequel, Kurt. And you know what? I'm glad people really enjoyed it. I enjoyed doing it. I'm sure you did as well. So we're happy to be back. I'm going to kick us off. One of our listeners is my mother. She listens to us as she does her daily walk. And when she heard fun phrases, she said she liked it a lot, but said, how come you didn't discuss happy as a clam? Well, the truth is we didn't discuss most of the world's fun phrases. But out of respect for my mother's request and feedback, I would like to kick us off with happy as a clam. I am very interested to hear this. I don't know it. I use it all the time, but I don't know it. It's from a longer phrase, which goes happy as a clam in high water. What it means is when it's high tide, the clams are almost impossible to find. They are protected against humans who are trying to dig them up or birds who might want to eat them. At low tide, they are fully exposed and vulnerable, easily harvested by predators. So when it's high tide, they are happy as a clam in high water or just happy as a clam. So by shortening it, we kind of ruined from whence it came, did we not? Yes, it would be more clear in its longer form. I like that a lot, though, John. Well, I hope my mom is happy. Can we stay with the maritime theme here? I thought you were going to say with the mollusk theme, which is a very narrow theme. So yes, stay with the maritime theme, Kurt. Okay, break the ice. Lay it on me. Well... In the olden days, of course, when ships would come into port to a harbor and bring from far afield from a different country, in the winter, literally, they would get stuck in the ice and they could not get into the port. So the people from the port, which is a country that didn't know the people from the boat, would go and break the ice so that the boat could come in and bring the cargo. Hence, they were coming together. Everybody could make new friends. So break the ice, John. So you are a sucker for presidential history. I am as well, but you're a sucker with a capital S. You know a lot more about it than I do. You'll recall that at the Ford Theater, President Abraham Lincoln was assassinated by actor John Wilkes Booth, who then jumped 
from the box seats onto the stage, and in doing so, broke his leg. But he also uttered the phrase, right, death to tyranny, but he did it in Latin. Which sounds like what? Death to tyranny in In Latin. Latin. (laughs) Okay, so he breaks his leg. I can say it in big Latin, John. F de ute tyranny te. So, So John Wilkes Booth, you know, shoots the president, unfortunately, jumps onto the stage, breaks his leg, and seeks medical attention from a doctor named Samuel Mudd who was later convicted and sent to prison as a co-conspirator, even though most people didn't think he was guilty of it at all. And from that incident, we get the expression, your name is Mud. And we shortened from two Ds to one D, probably. Right. Samuel Mud's name did have two Ds. That is a great, great origin story. However, like a lot of origin stories, Unfortunately, it's not true, although it's widely believed to be the case. It seems as if many years before the president's assassination, in a book called A Dictionary of the Turf, the term Your Name is Mud appeared back in the early 1800s. So I love that. So an expression that someone said to me, like your mother said, how could you not say happy as a clam? Someone said to me, Kurt, you're always talking about the origin of sleep tight. Why didn't you bring that up? So in the olden days, there were no such things as fancy platform beds or box springs. What you had was two pieces of wood and in between it was rope that was cross vertically. It was like a lattice and then a straw mattress, if you will. Mattress was probably a a euphemism for a piece of, of cloth stuffed with something put on top of the rope. In order to get a good night's sleep so you wouldn't sag, you would literally, before you went to sleep, tighten the ropes. And so you were asked when you went to sleep, it was a good thing to sleep tight, meaning let's hope the ropes are tight. How about John, also in the olden times, which of course makes sense because they're all from the olden times. Not a lot of these expressions have been defined from the future. So people would come over to your house, right? You'd come over to my house, And I'd serve you a meal, and we'd eat and eat, and then you wouldn't leave. And I really really wanted you to leave. So in order to let you know that I wanted you to leave, I would take a piece of mutton, John, or ham, or beef, whatever, but I would take you a piece of the shoulder, and I would not give you the warmed up on the fire piece. It would be cold piece of the meat. I would give you, John, the cold shoulder. Yes. Well, the next time you have me over, when you serve me a cold piece of meat, I will get the message loud and clear. There are people who believe, Kurt, that the term stopping cold turkey, which means you just stop with no preparation, you just all at once, comes from the fact that eating cold turkey, unlike a lavish, hot Thanksgiving meal around turkey, doesn't take any preparation time. So people believe the term cold turkey comes from the lack of preparation needed. What's interesting is I always heard something completely different about cold turkey, John. What's that? Well, usually you talk about stopping cold turkey to alcohol or drugs, correct? Some sort of addiction, yes. When someone stops an addiction, they usually get pale, they get bumps, they shiver, they, and they, their skin starts to look white. They actually look like a piece of cold turkey. Yes. Yeah, I have heard that one too. And they do get goosebumpy when they're going through their withdrawal. And that's as good of an explanation as any. 
So can we get back to that house where we served mutton and cold turkey? I think I just left because you told me that it was time for me to go. Well, before you left, what were our roofs made out of, John? Our roofs or our roofs? Our roofs. They could have been made out of thatch. Yes, they were thick thatch, right? In that thick thatch, a lot of times, some of the domesticated animals would go up to sleep because it was warm and it was a place they could get away. And sometimes they could find little mice and rats and things like that to nibble on. So they'd go up there. Trouble is, John, when it decided the weather was going to turn nasty and it would pour down, these domesticated animals would fall out of the thatch. And that's when we get raining cats and dogs. Yes, that is a very good one. So it was literally raining cats and dogs. Literally. Literally. Which I i don't know about you, and this gets to our pet peeves, but aren't you a little sick of people screwing up the word literally? Yes. I mean, I've been able to focus on some of the more pressing issues of humanity the last few months, but that's not to say that I don't have a great capacity to be annoyed by little things. So what is it about literally that's got your goat? Ha! They literally do not use it correctly. They always conflate it with the word figuratively. So I was literally laughing my ass off. Did your ass fall off? No. So it wasn't. You were figuratively laughing your ass off. So earlier you mentioned pigs, Kurt. I did, John. You did. And way back when in the 1700s, it was common to sell pigs. You want to buy a pig? I put a pig in a bag and you'd have your sack and you'd go off. But it was quite common that there was fraud. And instead, people would put much less valuable cats in the bag. So you'd pay for a pig, walk off and find that you bought a cat, which was not something you would have done had you known. So that's why you would let the cat out of the bag before you completed the purchase. That's exactly right. I believe they were little uh, little suckling pigs, right? So, John, I, too, was going to talk about let the cat out of the bag. But what you did is what happened to this poor guy, John Dennis, who was an early 1700s English playwright. This guy invented a device for a play that he had in this theater that sounded like thunder. The play flopped, John. The play flopped. And he left. After someone else came into the same theater and used that device, this guy was pissed because he says, they'll play with my thunder, but not my play. Basically, they stole his thunder. Mm. Sometimes on this podcast, we steal each other's thunder. Right. So it's customary as a religious act in ancient India... (laughs) to throw butterballs at the statues of gods in an effort to seek good fortune. That is where the expression butter someone up comes from. They literally threw butterballs at statues. And so they're throwing butter. I guess they had it in ancient India, right? They probably they, didn't not it. only did they have it, but they had it in ball form. And they're throwing it at the statues in order to get good favor, seek favor. They're seeking fortune and favor. They're seeking good things to happen. So they are buttering up the gods or the statues. I love it. And there must be another reason, too, because I don't don't want to find another reason. I think the fact that in ancient India as religious act, that people threw butterballs at religious statues seeking fortune and favor is a darn good story. Don't seek another story. Love it. 
you know what, John, that was darn good. That was terrific. I hope you can lend me that money later because that was a great, great story. See, I'm buttering you up. I noticed that. Well, I noticed that about halfway through you doing it. I was really confused at first. So thank you for the explanation. Here's another kind of fun one. This is not religious at all, but you're out in the woods and you're chopping your firewood, which is used to not only heat your house, but cook your meals. But you made this axe yourself, right? No machines, no steers, roebuck. And you're hammering away and all of a sudden that top piece, the blade of the axe flies off. And you don't know what kind of mayhem happened. You flew off the handle. Oh, yeah, you did. I think what we should do after you fly off the handle is I think that we should bury the hatchet, which dates all the way back to early North America when the Puritans were here and they were in frequent conflict with Native Americans. When the two parties got together to negotiate peace, the Native Americans would actually bury their hatchets, knives, tomahawks, clubs. Well, they were literally burying the hatchet in seeking peace with the Puritans. Love that. Did you ever play a Puritan in like a Thanksgiving Day play? I'm sure I did. And I'm also sure that on construction paper, I traced my hands and put a little, what's that thing hanging off the neck of the turkey? Goatee? Oh. Yes, the goatee off the turkey. (laughs) The gobble gobble. Centuries ago in England, prisoners, Kurt, were held in cages that were suspended three feet off the ground. That made them jailbirds. So that's how we got the expression jailbirds. They were literally in cages. But they literally, yes, they were literally in cages. It made me doubt myself there. Literally in cages, suspended off the ground like a bird. They were jailbirds. So let's get into some sports uh, expressions we use now. Please. Okay. There's people in sports, they come in and the first game they do amazingly, right? And then after that, nothing. What are they called? They're called a flash in the pan, John. Yes. Okay. Again, back to, could even be puritanical days or beforehand, the muskets we used had a pre-pan before the gunpowder let the bullet go, and you had a spark go in that pan, and then that lit something else, which then lit the main gunpowder to shoot the bullet. Sometimes you would just get the flash in the pan and would not lead to the next chamber to let the bullet go, so it was just a flash in a pan with nothing after it. So it literally was a flash in the pan. See, I like how you're now using literally correctly. I literally enjoy that you're using literally correctly, John. I will not be peeved or peevish or get upset or feverish about your usage of the word flash in the pan. You almost went into a tigger moment there. I mentioned jailbirds, and I'm going to stick with prisons for a moment, Kurt. So back in the Civil War, both the Union and the Confederate armies built prisons, and they actually drew a line that was just inside the wall or the stockade. If a prisoner crossed that line, if they were foolish enough to cross that line, they were shot dead on the spot. That line is called a deadline. So back then, it was literal, and now it's figurative, of course, because no one's been killed for missing a deadline at work or anything. So, John, let's get to alcohol, because we always like alcohol. Sometimes when people have too many gin martinis, especially if they're made the correct way. By the way, I did have a listener tell me that my description of making the martini was wrong, that you should never put the gin in the freezer, because that 
ruin some of, or take deaden some of the taste. And I like it in the freezer. I was also told that you should never shake it. You should always stir it. Now, I disagreed with this listener, but hey, to each his own. He also said a tiny bit of bitters is fantastic in there, which is crazy. My goal for you is to get through an entire podcast episode at some point, no, no rush, without mentioning gin, gin martinis, or gin and tonics. Well, funny you should say that because a, a little story happened to me yesterday at the doctor, John. I went into the doctor and I was talking to him and I said, listen, I've had these cramps lately. He said, oh. Okay, well, one thing you should do for cramps, I said, I'm taking magnesium. He said, no, another thing, you should drink quinine. I said, let me get this straight. Yeah. You're prescribing gin and tonics to me? <laughs> you know what? You may have been a British imperialist, perhaps stationed in India. You are, hands down, the biggest promoter of gin products that I know. And you know where the expression hands down comes from, Kurt? Tell me. Horse racing. When the jockey on the horse, if they were in first place by a sufficient margin, he could remove his hands from the reins and still win the race because he was so far ahead. He could go hands down and still win. Love that. I have a question for you, Kurt. When we were in high school, we were high school age and we first got our licenses. And let's say you were with a few friends and you were approaching the car Someone other than the driver would always yell out what? Shotgun. Exactly. We all wanted to ride shotgun, which meant to sit in the passenger seat next to the driver in the front. Riding shotgun comes from the Wild West. Certainly does, John. From the Wild Wild West, Kurt, when the person who sat next to the driver was often equipped with a shotgun to make sure that if any robbers approached the coach that they could shoot and kill and protect themselves. They were riding shotgun. Literally. They were literally, we were figuratively. You know what's interesting about that? I was just, when you thought about that, in my mind, I don't know why I equate this with the Wild West, but I was thinking about bare knuckle fighting, which brings me, John, to our second sponsor who has signed up. This is a new lifestyle company called Knuckles to Knuckles, and it has a new website called knucklestoknuckles.com, and its tagline is Let's Together. And this is the ethos of when one knuckle comes to another knuckle, it is not in competition or in any sort of fierce display of animosity. It is rather the opposite. It's for support, enthusiasm, camaraderie, knucklestoknuckles.com. It's a brand new lifestyle site. Let's together. Thank you for that. And thank you for Knuckles to Knuckles for that sponsorship. Let's together continue our podcast now after that nice message. So I was talking about alcohol, John. And when someone gets too drunk, they are called that they are three sheets to the wind. This comes from the nautical again, and people think sheets are always sails, but they're not, John. Sheets are actually ropes, in some circumstances, chains. There are holes at the end of the sails. You put these ropes or these sheets through them at the bottom, and you tie them down. When it gets nasty out and it's really windy or whatever, sometimes these sheets, these ropes can get loose and when they are loose, the sails then go haywire and things go crazy. And it's like they're drunken sailors. So you are three sheets to the wind, not sails, but the ropes that hold the sail. Yeah. So we've discussed ropes on boats before. Lines, John, lines. Thank you. Thank you. 
Or sheets, John, or sheets. I would prefer that you be nautically accurate. Kurt, would you please tell our listeners who Lady Godiva was? Yes, of course. Lady Godiva was the aristocratic wife of a very important man who was taken prisoner by someone, some mean aristocrat or despot or some mean bad guy. And in order to protest that her husband was taken away and that there was a new tax put on people, she, they said the only way you can do this was a tax on clothes or something. She rode naked on her horse through the town in protest. Did I get it right? You did. I know a very similar story. She asked, though, the townspeople before she rode naked throughout the town to divert their attention so that she would not be seen as she passed. They all complied except for one person in the town, a tailor named Thomas. That's how we get peeping Tom. I'm glad his name wasn't Isaac or something. Peeping Isaac just doesn't have the same ring to it. It doesn't have the same. So, John, you and I love a good cup of coffee in the morning, do we not? I love coffee. How many cups of coffee do you honestly, literally drink every day? Funny you should ask that because people have always accused me of having way more than I should have. Well, you do have a certain kind of vibe, disposition, je ne sais quoi about you that suggests you're a heavy coffee drinker, Kurt. Two to three cups max every morning, and I do not drink coffee after noon. So where did the expression cup of joe come from? Oh, I don't know, but that's a really good one. And I really want to know. The secretary, newly appointed secretary of the Navy in 1913, his name was Josephus Daniels, abolished alcohol on all Navy ships. Apparently before then, as we know, certainly the Brits had their ration of gin, abolished all alcohol on ships. So the strongest drink left and available to them was coffee. And because he was Josephus Daniels, it was what he gave them to drink. So they drank to him a cup of Josephus, a cup of Joe. Ooh, that's a really good one. Was there a period when it first started that they actually called it a cup of Josephus and then realized that a cup of Joe would just be a whole lot easier? Yeah. We're going to go with yeah. (laughs) Well, that's a really good one. I do love coffee and I'm happy to know where a cup of Joe comes from. Thank you, Kurt. You're welcome, John. All right, Kurt, it's been really hot recently, and you and I both have dogs, and it's common in the summer when it's really hot out for dogs just to lie around and pretty much do nothing, and that's where people think we get the expression, the dog days of summer. However, that is not the case. It actually dates all the way back to ancient Rome when the Romans called the hottest, most humid days of summer the dog days, and that's because they associated the heat with the star Sirius, like Sirius XM. Sirius means dog star, and because Sirius is so bright, the Romans thought that the star sent extra heat toward the Earth because of the dog star, and that's where we get the dog days of summer. So I love that. I love it. You and I are lucky enough to live outside of New York City, which has five boroughs. Only one of these boroughs has a the in front of it. By the way, the, the most important word in the English language is just voted by, I think, the OED. And the, the, most, word, the most important or the most used? The most used. But anyway, of the five boroughs in New York, only one has a the in front, and that is the Bronx. That is because in the late 18th, early 19th century, 
what they called upstate New York, which was just above the Harlem River on the other side of Manhattan, was a huge farm owned by some descendants of the Dutch. Their name was Bronk. His name was John Bronk, B-R-O-N-C-K. So it was such a big farm that it became a landmark. Are you going past the Bronx, B-R-O-N-C-K, apostrophe S, house? Or are you going in front of the Bronx, to the left, to the right? And of course, we then used it in our short form, B-R-O-N-C-K, apostrophe S, became B-R-O-N-X. But because it always referred to the family and that perspective of where the, the farm was, it is always the Bronx. The Bronx. So that's a long story, but there you get the Bronx. Hey, I listened to most of it, so no problem. You know what a Bronx cheer is? I do. Can you demonstrate it for everyone? It's a... <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that's a Bronx. You put your tongue out and you let it vibrate. <laughs> it's like playing a kazoo, which is an amazing instrument. Oh, I like kazoos. I'd rather play the kazoo than... <laughs> there you go. All right. We need to wrap this... Getting a little lightheaded after all of those. You know, we've been talking an awful lot today. We've been chewing the fat, John. Ooh. Well, on boats, we're back to our Navy or our nautical theme. On boats, they had to find food that didn't need refrigeration. The fatty part of the pig that was salted was used last to eat because it kept the longest. And so they would eat it and they would talk and kvetch about kvetch, great word. They'd kvetch about it for a long time and they were chewing the fat. So since we're nearing the end here, and we talked about sports and bare-knuckle fighting, the term saved by the bell comes from boxing. If one of the fighters was in trouble late in a round and the round ended and the bell rung, they'd have to stop until the next round started. So a boxer could be saved by the bell. Hey, I wonder if that's where we also get the expression, you got your bell rung. Let's literally go with that, John. I literally am going to go with it. All right, Kurt, I hope our listeners have enjoyed more fun phrases. Fun phrases part do. I know I enjoyed it. And I'd like to thank everybody for joining us. We'd love to hear from you on any one of our social media. And remember, we literally promise the drivel and hope for the smart. We literally do. Well, we will see everybody next week with a new episode of Smart Drivel. Until then, this is John Ellenthal saying... And Kurt Schneider saying, goodbye, everyone. 